0: Head to thenextreel.com slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since
1: 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes.
0: So, uh, other things to talk about that I not that don't involve me. Yes. Um, what What is the big news of the week? We have a couple of big stories. One, uh, both of them, I think, potentially equally sad.
1: Well, one is definitely sad. I don't know what the other one is.
0: Yeah, it's also sad. You it, go, let's Let's do the real one first.
1: So, the sad news of the week is that uh, Richard Dysart passed away. <sighs> Richard Dysart, who we had uh, just uh, early last year, we had a wonderful uh, interview with him after we did our Richard Dysart series, uh, had a great uh, run of uh, movies that he was, uh, he was in, and you know, he's just a great guy, we had a wonderful interview with him, very down-to-earth, very fun and funny, and uh, yeah, he, he, he ended up passing away last night, and uh, so he leaves behind his lovely wife, Catherine, and uh, we certainly send her our thoughts.
0: It is. Um, that was the one where he sat on the floor for us for like That's four right. hours.
1: That's right. Yeah, it's a very lengthy interview. He is <laughs>
0: a, such a great, kind spirit, and I am I am deeply saddened by this news. But I hope that he is at peace. He yes. was. I think in these last couple of years, he was needing some peace. Yes, I and, think so. Um, so. Uh, uh, okay. The other the 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 other sad news. Okay is that uh the entire Star Wars set has been launched for pre order on digital. And it's it's <laughs> it's the, the the crappy versions.
1: You weren't you weren't kidding about <laughs> changing changing from sad to, to really not very sad. <laughs> don't let's not get all judgy. Okay. So here's the thing. I guess I just don't care anymore. And I'll tell you why. Because Disney owns it, and we all know that all of this is just marketing ploys. Yeah. And Disney is Disney has already been—you know—the rumor is floating out there that all of the original cuts of the first three Star Wars films, i.e., four, five, and six, are all going to be released. So you know, I just tell everybody get your panties out of a bunch and just be patient. Is that It'll what you're out.
0: telling me about my panties? That's,
1: that's what I'm telling you. Get your panties out of a bunch. Here's the uh, thing.
0: Uh, I'm okay with. I'm okay with that, and I feel like my panties are, in fact, out of a bunch. Uh, but they also did stupid album art. <laughs> their, <laughs> their cover art is stupid, too. Like, everything is like another layer of stupid.
1: That's funny. I didn't look at the art, actually, so, so I can't comment on it. But...
0: Well, it's like original poster art, but they separated, they, they've undone the title of the, the subtitle of Egypt. Now it's just Star Wars and then the lame Rainbow Bar, the Rainbow Bar subtitling theme. Oh. Scheme, hmm. it's not, it's not good. So anyway, I, I'm with you. I'm trying not to care. I'm doing whatever therapy I need to not care. <laughs> uh, the only unspoiled version, the unsullied version that I have, is not HD. It's uh, well, I, I do have a bootleg of a re-edit of a thing that's supposedly better, but it's still, it's like when I watch it on my big TV, it looks terrible. So I was hoping for. Steve well, is the one who got me all excited about this. I well, blame Steve Sarmento because he got me <laughs> all excited that this was that the rumor was out and this was going to be the next version that was released. It is not the next version released. I'm holding my money
1: and my. I breath. mean, here, here's the thing. I mean, the special editions. You know, complain all you want. This is to all you special editions haters. It's you know. if not more of the films that we love are there and so it's like okay there are things that were changed that are problematic but for the most part it is the film that we we all love and it still is worth watching and you shouldn't avoid it just because you you know think it's the special edition if you really need to be patient then just wait until Disney inevitably does release the originals.
0: Um, for those of That's... you who feel called out by that, Andy <laughs> is available at Soda Creek Film on Twitter. That's right. <laughs> directly. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> for all
1: you special
0: edition haters, ninety percent. I think I if if I were if I were on that side of the argument, I would be poking at ninety percent because I think that number's lower, and I look forward to somebody in our listening audience challenging that percentage.
1: I would find it hard to be less than ninety percent. I look. I'm not going
0: to do it myself because, like you, I'm trying to not care. Do
1: you hear that? (laughs) There you go. I am trying to not care. (laughs) There you go.
0: Do you have any other old business? I don't think so. I think we should tell the people where we're from.
1: Where are we from?
0: Is the next reel, everybody? I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Yo, and we spoil movies tonight on the show, the fourth in our 2015 film noir series with the, the fantastic 1947 Jacques Tourneur noir out of the past. But before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at thenextreel. And if you know what it's like to betray, to play on the trust of strangers and leave them cold and wet. And alone, all to get yours in the end? And you're just the kind of scoundrel who might like to head over to Instagram.com slash the next reel and play the next reel's Instagram hashtag pony prize hashtag guest the movie challenge.
1: Andy, how did we do against the Goon Squad this week? This was a, I think it was a pretty good week. I mean, I, I say that because the movie, <laughs> the images, I think, were, were great images. Uh, as far as the challenge, it did get. Uh, I think uh, good old Steve and Smart got two images in before uh, <laughs> before G Larsed uh, was able to figure it out. Yes, it was the uh, the image of I don't know what it is. A little like a, uh, <laughs> a dial on a uh, on a con- like a safe or something. That was uh, the giveaway, and uh, G Larsed was able to figure out that it was actually tied in with uh, last week's show, Fritz Lang's Manhunt. Wow.
0: Mm. What is that? What is that dial?
1: I haven't seen Manhunt. I haven't either. It looks like a, uh, I don't know, it it looks like a dial on a safe, but not really. Like maybe a camera dial or a a, a rifle scope. But it's
0: it's funny because it's got 8, 9, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, What is that?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, We need to see them clearly. Wow. Well played. Indeed, indeed. So, uh, yeah, a lot of great images, though. A lot of great images. What's funny Uh, is he hasn't
0: seen it either. Right. Somehow (laughs) he's just able to. (laughs) Uh, uh, Lucky guess. I haven't seen this one either. And now he has a target on his back.
1: (laughs) It is called Manhunt. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what you've set yourself up for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, on that note, Andrew, I think it's time. Let's do trailers. Okay, are you going to do the insect one?
1: The insect one? No, I'm definitely not going to. You're do not going to do a centipede? Human centipede? Human centipede. Human centipede. <laughs> no. That was that's, joke. The, that's the worst <laughs> that's, thing
0: you've ever sent me. It's,
1: well, it's one of the worst things uh, out there. It's that is just, in existence. Yeah. That is I mean, awful. I, is that a real movie? It looks like it. It looks like it. I mean, the thing I will say that I think is clever about those, uh, the at least I haven't seen the second film, and I won't see the third film, I saw the first film, and it it does churn one's stomach quite a bit.
0: Why did you see the first film? Was it Did you lose it's a one bet? Of those,
1: it's one of those curiosities. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to see this now. No, there are curiosities that don't need to be satisfied. <laughs> well, that one did for me. I, <laughs> I, sadly, that says a lot, I suppose. But, <laughs> but the second one, I love that they at least didn't uh, just put it back into the same world. They put it into a world where... A crazy man was such a fan of the film that he decided to actually recreate it with 12 people. I think that that was very clever to actually change world, so it's no longer in the movie world but it's in the real world but now this third one, I I, I can't really and I don't know why I'm talking about this trailer now but (laughs) the third one it looks like it's a blend of the first one like the world of the first one, the world of the second one it looks very meta and so, uh, you know, I like at least that they're playing around with that, but I I still have no intentions of watching it but it's not my trailer (laughs) let me get away from this oh my goodness, please uh, my trailer is, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's that much <laughs> better. It certainly is uh, a gruesome uh, little horror film that's coming out called Clown. And for all of those people who have nightmares about clowns, this is probably one to avoid. Um, it, the, the The conceit, I think, is, it is kind of clever. This father is trying to appease his son for his birthday party, the clown that they hire doesn't show up. And so his dad's digging in the basement and finds this old clown suit. And so he puts it on. And, you know, it is great uh, a great clown for the birthday party. But the clown suit won't come off. And it turns out that it's the skin of a demon <laughs> that would kill children. <laughs> and so so his wife has, you know helps him like peel the the clown nose off of his nose and so he's got this bloody red nose and it's just it looks kind of terrible but <laughs> the fact that i think so many people have such a fear of clowns i think it it really kind of surprised me when i saw the trailer that this hadn't been tapped into more often or quicker i mean stephen king did a great job in it and you know i guess there's uh, killer clowns from outer space and things like that but this is like a genuine just a, another take on like a horror clown and the world needs more of that because <laughs> because it's tapping into a fear that i think a lot of people have clowns are just down and out down and out creepy things what are you doing down there daddy come downstairs I wanna see my number one birthday boy.
0: Don't go up there. Yeah, no, it's it looks uh horrible. And <laughs> I am I feel like I'm a worse man for having let you make me see it. This <laughs> even this trailer. When he has his wife pull off his clown nose with pliers and it pulls off part of his nose in the trailer. I cursed Uh you out loud. I cursed your name. (laughs) I cursed Uh you by name. I did that. Oh yes. Yeah. So, um, I won't be seeing this movie. I'm really look forward to you not telling about telling me about your experience seeing this movie. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like I'm not again, not in the target segment. that audience not in
1: the demo it looks it looks like a really bad horror movie and probably one that i will inevitably watch (laughs) oh i know you'll watch
0: it i know you will (laughs) oh yes that's so good oh
1: and i love that eli roth is actually he has a i don't know if it's a cameo or a bit part or what but he's (laughs) in it as frowny the clown (laughs) oh
0: my gosh
1: yeah he didn't direct it this is directed by john watts uh i'm unfamiliar with john watts but uh He's done a few little projects like Cop Car and (laughs) our RoboCop remake.
0: (laughs) Is that like the the community's RoboCop remake? Is that (laughs) kind of hey, look what
1: we did? Yeah, I just don't know. It's a little animated uh, feature thing. I I don't know. I don't really quite know what it is, but looks like an interesting director who has done. uh, I mean, he's you know tapped into like the Onion. He's worked on the Onion TV show and and a bunch of shorts and other TV projects and stuff. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of this one. Is it going to be scary and, and funny and funny or just scary? I don't know. But okay, Clown. Clown. Uh. I don't have any release dates either. It's The trailer's out. Um, it uh, kind of it looks like it's getting a slow release date in different parts of the world. And so who knows? It may be straight to video at some point. But that's, that's it. All right.
0: My trailer is not about clowns, there isn't a single clown in my trailer or,
1: or centipedes
0: <laughs> all right, so my trailer andy it is uh, it picks up in my uh long running series of Ethan Hawk trailers this guy and his movies all of a sudden uh this time he is Tom Egan fighter pilot turned drone pilot facing down his demons as he kills and kills and kills from afar, afar, afar. Uh, a story, actually, it absolutely fascinates me and has since I saw Unmanned, America's Drone Wars from Robert Greenwald. These guys, this job, the the pressures, I just cannot fathom how they're able to to do this job and integrate into the world around them. So I get excited about anything that helps me sort of explore this a bit more. I'm just fascinated. It is a, it is a role in the world that I don't understand, and I find myself really compelled to try to understand it uh, and... So I, the big question for me is, can writer-director Andrew Nichol deliver something that deals with the complexities inherent in this story in a way that, that, um, that actually does justice to it? And I'm, I am, uh, I don't know, is dubious the word?
1: Eyes <laughs> on objective. In good at your discretion. Roger that. Target. Lasered. Three, two, one, Right. Good
0: kill. The cast: January Jones, Zoe Kravitz, uh, Ethan Hawke, um, Jake Abel, uh, Bruce Greenwood. Uh, it's it's got a, a, a solid cast. I mean, there are people that I I like. I have professed my like for them in the past. Uh, Andrew Nichol is you know known for some of my um, some of the my go to films. You know, I I really enjoyed Gattaca. I obviously loved the Truman Show. Uh, Lord of War was great. In Time, I think we both had some problems with it, but the, it was a it was a, a clever concept. Um, the host uh, that was the one I that we uh, I was trying to remember with the the you know the thing Stephen Smart I think came up with that we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago that it made it it looked just like Insurgent and all the other ones that are just like it. Oh, it uh, was
1: the uh, it was the Twilight Lady's other book. Right,
0: right, right, right. Stephanie Meyer, right, and yeah. uh, and so Andrew Nichol was behind that
1: too. And
0: um, boy, I didn't see that coming. So anyhow, you know, I'm I'm kind of a mixed, um, you know, because then we got the Terminal and Sim One, Simone. Hey, don't knock the Terminal. You like the Terminal a lot? I do like the Terminal. I I um, I, I honestly I don't I don't think I've seen it. <laughs> you just knock it anyway. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I haven't. I don't think I, I haven't seen it. No, I can tell you, I haven't seen it, and I haven't just heard a lot of. Oh, that was one of Spielberg's best. but, no. then, but it, Tom Hanks was in it, so I know I'm speaking to the wrong company.
1: You yeah, are. It is good. Yeah. It's a good one. It really it's is. A good one? All right. Well, yeah.
0: so I, you know, but I, I think I'm more on the side of Andrew Nichols than, uh, than his foes, than his enemies. <laughs>
1: Well, I think his strengths, uh, his strong films, Gattaca, Lord of War, in time had some stuff going for it. But those films, I think, stand, uh, as far as what he's directed, stand uh, 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 far over any falls that he's had or any small stumbles. And so, I mean, I think when he's good, I think he's really, really good. Uh, I think this has the potential to be really good. I mean it looks like a really interesting film and and you 're right what is up with Ethan Hawke right now? He is in flipping everything I everything. mean looking at his slate he 's got one two three, four, five, six films slated for twenty fifteen He did five in twenty fourteen he did uh four in twenty thirteen i mean uh, you know he is this is like the busiest period of his life. He just is not settling down it
0: it really Is and and I like it. I mean, every everything that I have seen of him in this sort of renewed Ethan Hawke has been great. Uh, I have really enjoyed, uh, and so although I have not seen Cymbeline, which is now
1: not called Cymbeline. You know, it keeps changing titles. It yeah. was it was Cymbeline, and then it was now, called... Now is it Cymbeline again? I heard that it's Cymbeline again.
0: It's back. Yeah, well, That's how it's listed, anyway. And then, so, I, I haven't seen that one, uh, obviously, but Predestination, God, was great. Boyhood, obviously. I, it's just, you know, he's in a string of of, um, of films I'm really looking forward to. So, we'll see. Uh, it hits May 15th. It's been around for a little bit uh I think it's floating around. I you can't I can't find it on any of the digital uh, services, but it's been around festivals since 2014. So you may have seen it, uh, but it hits a wide release May 15th.
1: Nice. Yeah. That's
0: it. Andy? Yes? You ought to kill me for what I did a moment ago. There's time. And then I saw coming out of the sun. And I knew I wouldn't care about that 40 grand. My name is Jeff Markham, and I haven't talked to anybody who hasn't tried to sell me something for ten days. I'd like to build a house right there, marry you, live in it, and never go anywhere else. She ran out on me. With forty thousand bucks. I hate surprises myself. You wanna just shut the door and forget it? No, no, come on in. I like surprises. Your picture don't do you justice, baby.
1: Why don't you break his head, Jeff?
0: Cute. One chance in a million.
1: One chance in a million was all that chump ever had in his life, and he made it good.
0: I couldn't help it, Jeff. They made me sign it. I swear I couldn't help it. They said they'd find the body and tell the police I killed him. That even just now fold your hands or I'll fold them for you. You took big, mister. Out of the past, Danny 1947 film noir, uh, uh, rightfully called Build My Gallows High, as it was released in the United Kingdom, based on the book uh, by Daniel Mainwaring, who also adapted his own book to the screenplay under the pseudonym Jeffrey Holmes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, it stars the fantastic trio, Robert Mitchum, Jane Greer, and Kirk Douglas. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just say this. I'm going to say it out loud, and I just want you to react. This is the fourth of our series of film noir. Films noir. All right? Yes. Double Indemnity. Detour. Scarlet Street. Out of the Past. For me, right. out of the past, is hands down the best of the series so far.
1: Really, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay,
0: you don't nothing. That's not it. Where does it rate for you? Like you don't you don't agree?
1: I, I, I do love this film. I would uh, so far. I would probably rank this second. I think behind uh, Scarlet Street, behind Double Indemnity. That uh, was going to be my second choice. And then, and then, <laughs> and then Scarlet Street. But see, there are those three are all like way up in like my favorite noir films. Like all three of them, um, and Detour. I mean, I really like. I we talked about. It, I enjoy Detour quite a bit, even though it is a very problematic film. But um, yeah, I think this is a, a brilliant representation of film noir. It's got this kind of this just brilliant uh, look. It's got wonderful smoking. Roger Ebert has just a wonderful comment about the smoking in this film. It's got an incredible femme fatale. It's got a rather convoluted plot, (laughs) I think, but it makes for a really fun story about a guy who falls for a femme fatale and just kind of goes down this dark road and leads to ruin. It is. She is loco. And but, what I like about Oh, go ahead.
0: No, you know, I was I, I'm trying to compare her a little bit to um uh you know, to Scarlet Street, right, who was also uh not you know, to all, Kitty. Yeah, not all there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh but I you know, I find my experience with uh Jane Greer is is so much more like I I feel like I'm involved in the love affair with her. Right? She is she is so alluring. That I can't, I, I you know, w- watching Scarlet Street, I I get into this, uh, or even Detour, who's just, n- I mean, she's off her rocker. Uh, what's her name?
1: She's just nasty. Yeah. She's just she's, nasty she's... all over the place,
0: and that's what you know. Obviously, that's what these films are known for. But but I find that this is the first one where I really believed that uh, I could have been snookered by her. I could have fallen in love with her because she was, she is just so alluring and and uh, just quintessentially stereotypically um uh psychologically attractive and her voice is just
1: oh man well and is that because this one is the only one so far that actually gives us a sense of kind of a love story happening because this does kind of as he's you know he's a detective and he's trying to track down this this uh woman uh for uh for Kirk Douglas's character who had shot him and stole $40,000 from him. Um, he tracks her down in Acapulco and immediately falls for her. And we see a—it a, 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 feels rather lengthy— Kind of a love montage, kind of a love, a series of scenes of them falling in love and falling for each other and deciding they're going to go on the run together and all that. And it's actually the, the only film where it actually gives you a sense of these two characters really falling in love.
0: I totally agree. And I don't think it ends there. I think that's one of the things that the film gives us is a much more sort of uh, fleshed out experience with the characters. I think it is, it is you get a much more of a sense of the complexity of their relationships. And I think it starts with them. Uh, but I, I don't think it ends there. I mean, I think the relationships with Kirk Douglas, even as sort of weirdly flighty as he plays his, you know, his role, is, uh, it, you know, I feel like we get an experience of their history together, um, and and I really like that. I feel like this is this is the noir that we have that that has the most meat on its bones. Uh, it has the most for me to to sort of enjoy
1: and let, kind of wash over me. Well, it certainly has uh, the most fleshed out. And uh well developed characters, I would say. I well, yeah, I, I think I would say that about the four films that we've talked about. We have characters who really don't feel very one-dimensional, which I really like, that they actually feel fleshed out. Like like Kathy, uh Jane Greer's character, she is, you know, we 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 fall in love with her, but then there's this this kind of this uh, dark side that pops up because we don't fully know if if she really stole this forty thousand dollars. She said she didn't, uh, and all this, and then she and and Jeff fall for each other. But then when uh, um, Jeff's former partner Fisher confronts them, she's like, "What's she say? Like bash him in the head, Jeff, or something?" It's like all of a sudden right. she turns, seems like well, that doesn't seem in character. Like she's got a dark side. But then when she's talking about Kirk Douglas's character, wit you get this sense that there's some abuse there like maybe she ran away because he abuses her and so maybe she was kind of right in in shooting him out of self defense or something and they play that not just with her but with with wit there's a sense of a little more depth to his character when we meet um what's that was it nita later we meet nita and there's a sense with her also that there's something darker about um, the reason that she's doing stuff like there's something having to do with this um, this accountant that she's working for, and he is not necessarily the nicest guy. And I like that they really play with all the characters. Even Joe, the, uh, the I, I don't know what you'd call him, but kind of the henchman, with right. henchman, right. um, when he kills the accountant later on, he has a reaction that just seems really surprising for somebody who's a henchman. It's like right. it he felt really bad about it almost. You know, kind of, is, it, it it kind of shocked him the way that uh, the way that the death happened, and it was a really interesting change that they did with all the characters. I really love how they developed the script in this.
0: I do too. And I, did you mention Anne? Uh, you know, I didn't I, mention Anne yet. This yeah. is this is another one. Anne Miller, played by Virginia Houston. This is she. She sort of is the the catalyst for the flashback. Much of this film is a flashback, and uh, you know, as as many noir films uh, tend to be. Uh, this is. Uh, she's the new girlfriend, and she's with, um, you know, she is with Jeff, and he's this is, opens with Jeff, and they are professing their love for one another, and you get a sense that he's really, uh, you know, he works in this garage, and this is this is his life now, and he's invested in this life, and then out of the, you know, this mysterious uh, henchman comes out of the past, and 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 shakes up his worldview, uh, and he has to come clean to Anne, and she pops in and out of the film, and. I never, you know, I never once lose sight of the complexity that exists in, uh, you know, Mitchum's and Jeff's, uh, Jeff Bailey's uh, relationship between these two women. Uh, it is, it's a, it's a difficult thing, uh, you know, which is fleshed out really, really well through the uh, throughout the course of the film. I love it.
1: Yeah, and I, I love the uh, the way that the boy, the the deaf mute boy. Um, has that, uh, uh, kind of tells her that Jeff was essentially going to meet, uh, K- Kathy at the end to kind of free Anne. Yeah. It was a, it was a nice little way to kind of, uh, just, just play that and, and kind of let her break free from, I mean, really she was kind of, um, had that same connection to Jeff that Jeff ended up having to Kathy.
0: So you uh you are not as excited about this film as I was. What is it about the film that that doesn't stack up for you?
1: No, no, no. I I don't think that's a, a fair assessment. I'm I'm it's not that I'm not excited about this film. It's just that I happen to be a little more excited about the other two films, I think. I think for me the thing with this film is the plot itself gets so convoluted when you start getting involved with this, you know, the accountant and he's got this affidavit uh, in a safe that Kathy signed saying that Jeff killed Fisher. Um, it, it does feel like a very convoluted plot. And it's it's one of those films where you look at it, you step back and go, does the plot matter that much? Probably not. It's it's the journey that I take uh, of watching Jeff's character as he uh, goes um, back and forth with Kathy over the course of the, the film. That's really what's important in this film the plot not so much but i think that because of that i always find this one harder to remember like i know i love this film but every time i sit down to watch it i'm like gosh what happens again cuz i don't remember i know there's a there's a guy who gets killed by a fishing hook i love that bit <laughs> <laughs>
0: technically he gets killed by the fall
1: Te- yes right he gets dragged <laughs> off the cliff by the fishing hook but Always one of my favorite uh, deaths in cinema,
0: which I love because you know, if you think about the the sort of pound test wire, pound test fishing wire that that <laughs> the kid must be using to fish in this little stream, <laughs> right? That actually would would, would just, pull a hundred and eighty pound man off a cliff. Just in case what is he great fishing white? for? <laughs> uh, 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 anyhow, yes, okay. So, and I, I guess I could, I I can. I agree with you on that point and and I think that it it's sort of a c story you know that that we end up with uh with wit being blackmailed by this attorney uh and you know there's this tax thing and he's gotta get the papers back and he it becomes like another sort of mini caper mm-hmm. but but it allows that is what allows the rest of the caper to unfold that's what allows the the you know uh kathy to to sort of come out as the murderess of these three people and and so i i think ultimately you know i i find that makes the story more rich but i i agree with you i can i can see how that that makes it slightly impenetrable particularly if you've seen you know you've only you know if you haven't watched it much you know if you don't have that much experience with film i can see how that that makes it more challenging
1: well and i it's i mean it's just one of those films you get to the end and you go, okay, so did the accountant stuff matter that much to the story? Not really, because, I mean, it, it yeah. all figures in, obviously. No, yeah, right. That's a good point. But, but I, I just, uh, I, 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 I really love the story, uh, the overall story of Jeff and Kathy. I really enjoy that story. It's just the rest of it kind of bogs me down sometimes. But I still really love this film.
0: I uh, mostly love seeing Robert Mitchum and Kirk Douglas on screen together. Um, and they, uh, well, they're just, they're just really fun to see. And, and I, you know, I haven't seen The Way West in a long time, but that was, uh, that was another one where we get to see Mitchum and, and Douglas and were there others?
1: I don't think so. I feel like that might have been it. Um, I know that Mitchum, he was before this, uh, much more of a good guy sort of, uh, actor. He, you know, in the story of GI Joe and films like that, he was kind of that, that hero and it was after it was really this film and and after that it changed his uh, persona and he became much more of that uh laconic uh lethargic fatalistic uh darker brooding sort of character and
0: isn't it a funny parallel between um between robert mitchum and fred murray yeah, uh, they were. It's it, it's a funny transition when you get these guys who were were in that sort of good guy role and end up going noir for, you know, well, to show Mitchum's, their other side.
1: Yeah, Mitchum certainly stayed there. I don't know yeah. if uh, McMurray. No, you know, I mean he didn't really bounce son, out. Son of, he sort the, of bounced out. Noir son of flubber. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it didn't stick, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, so to speak, it's flubber, of course, it <laughs> right? Am I right? That's right. That's you, right. I interrupted you. Keep going.
1: Oh, but I was just saying, comparing with Kirk Douglas, who I think um, really from this film, this was only his second film. I mean, I, I think right away you can already get this real sense of his that on-screen persona that that he would end up carrying, and uh, I think. Well, we're going to be talking about him uh, next week, also. But I think that uh, Kirk Douglas ended up just kind of taking on a, a different kind of film, largely. Although he was never one who shied away from, uh, from you know, dark characters or weak characters. He was always one ready to jump in and try anything. So I love that about Kirk Douglas. And uh, but yeah, I don't think that they. Uh, I mean, long answer, but I don't think that they ended up um, acting in anything else together. I could be wrong. If any of our listeners know for sure, they can let us know. Yeah, I don't
0: think so. Um, but he was, a, it's funny to watch him this young because he seems like he has um, affectation in this film. Do you notice? Huh. Just the way he, he bites his lip. He, he. you know, there were some little, I, I, I don't know if it was a sign of just sort of not yet finding complete comfort on screen. He just looked a little bit a little bit more like Kirk Douglas than Wit, compared to Mitchum as Jeff. Yeah, just felt like a he just felt like a kid, and maybe it's because we're so like we know Kirk Douglas so well.
1: Right, right, uh, right.
0: After such a an incredible career, uh, but even even his his films that came out in the in the fifties were you know uh, show a a dramatic difference you know in his in his just his acting uh, right. ability He was just so such a strong character actor from from this point forward so
1: yeah and he was only he was only like 30 31 when he made this film so yeah yeah jeez
0: um okay i we I sort of started by talking about Mitchum and, and Douglas together but um, other uh, thoughts on on Mitchum's performance as Jeff alone what do you think
1: uh, I I think he's brilliant he is a character uh, who, I mean he's an actor really who's born to be in noir, I think he he latches on to the qualities of the character and really yeah. just taps into it and I think it comes through in that kind of uh, fatalistic sense that he carries with him, he works so well in this role and I mean all the other noirs that he he's been in, He he really kind of um, just did a lot of them, uh, and I think he did a great job in them.
0: Um, I you know I I feel like my collection of Mitchum is sadly lacking, uh, particularly when I look at at Out of the Past in 1947 through uh, Night of the Hunter in 1955. Mm-hmm. I have I I really have not seen very many films in there, and there are a lot of them. Yes, uh,
1: in that range. I've seen a lot of his noirs from the period. Uh, Crossfire, which came out the same year, um, I think was it. Was he in the racket? I feel like he was in the racket. Um, it just, I mean, yeah, he, he was. Yeah. yeah, he, he did uh, just so many of these great films. He just, uh, it's just so much fun to watch him. He he really just carries that uh, that presence so well.
0: He really does and I think this film does a great job showing off his ability to transform to transition from the the sort of uh you know uh dopey pi to the grim uh, to the sort of grim sucker in the in the middle of the caper. I just love watching him work.
1: With uh, with the man in love in the in the middle. I mean I yeah, think yeah. he plays that that kind of love-stricken character really well and I think that uh he and Jane Greer have a great presence. Uh, together on screen and uh they were in uh, the big steal a few years later as well.
0: Uh Jane Greer uh is mm. really really awesome.
1: She's she's just lovely. <laughs> <It's> really lovely. <sighs> she's uh she was with Howard Hughes for a while. Wow. Yeah, she was uh can't remember if they
0: was uh she the, was she on the spruce goose i don't think on, that on she was around scoops. in the
1: spruce goose years but uh she was i think that uh, howard hughes actually is the reason that she started acting he found her in a magazine and um and brought her to hollywood basically to become an actress and then um she, where and she came out and married rudy valley and, uh, uh, then she, and Howard Hughes, I don't know if he was her man- managing her or what, but some, he would like lend her over to studios like RKO and, uh, and put her in a bunch of films there. Uh, Dick Tracy out of the past. They won't believe me the big Steal, And, um, yeah. And then, uh, she, I think just, um, what was the other thing I was going to say about her? She I can't remember now. She
0: had palsy when she was 15.
1: Oh, did she? And
0: her face was partially paralyzed.
1: Oh, wow! Her, I she, didn't.
0: She had partial paralysis of her face from palsy. The palsy left her face partially paralyzed. Paral, mm. Paralyzed palsy face. <laughs> partial partial <laughs> palsy paralyzed partial palsy face.
1: Wow. As I was a... saying, uh, <laughs> that
0: this is one of the this is one of the this is one of the bits right that that uh, this is one of the little bits that she claims that it was through facial exercises to overcome the paralysis that she learned the efficacy of facial expression in conveying human emotion, courtesy IMDb.
1: Mm. I remember what I was going to say. She was really nervous about playing this role. She's, I mean, she was fairly young. I think she was only 22 at the time, and she knew of the reputation of Mitchum. He had been, you know, he was a heavy drinker. He was, uh, you know, he, as a teenager, he'd been in a chain gang and escaped. I mean, he's really con- kind of considered a bad boy. And so she was quite nervous about, about, uh, working with him. But... She got to know him and found him to be just one of the most giving people, really uh, a a great actor to work with. He really um, worked well with his other actors. And outside of that, he was just incredibly friendly and uh, very helpful. And so they became friends after this and uh, even appeared decades later in 1987 on Saturday Night Live together doing a spoof of this called Out of Gas. (laughs)
0: Now you have not seen Out of Gas, right?
1: I have not seen it and I've looked online for it. I've seen some stills of it and that's all that I've been able to find. But uh, yeah, Robert Mitchum, I think his daughter uh made this short spoof of Out of the Past called Out of Gas with Robert Mitchum and Jane Greer and also Mitchum's grandson Bentley Mitchum. So I just uh, I'd love to see it but I can't find it. All the clips online have been taken down.
0: that's a shame. Sad, sad shame.
1: It is. It really is.
0: It's interesting. Here's the the quote uh, about her quote. Uh, I'd always wanted to be an actress, and suddenly I knew that learning to control my facial muscles was one of the best assets I could have as a performer. Emotions often must be portrayed from an inner feeling, of course. But I had a double advantage because I was learning to direct my as-yet expressionless feelings. As well as gaining an ability to express emotion by a very conscious manipulation of my muscles, which makes her sound like a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't Art, that what. Aren't all actors a little bit? Isn't, so, <laughs> isn't yeah. that what you would hear from, you know, Dexter?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's funny.
0: Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, anyway, her role in this film, I thought she was just fantastic as i have said before she is really really transcended in this film as uh largely the evildoer
1: largely yes Uh, i think that it's just so well written the femme fatale here just the way that you never quite know that she's the femme fatale until he's completely wrapped up into her and then and then it kind of unspools and you realize just how uh, evil man- and manipulative it is and, and, and she only gets like darker as the film progresses it's a very great transformation of the femme fatale over the whole course of the film rather than some of the other ones where detour she's just straight out bad the whole time um, Scarlet Street. We pretty much know that Kitty is uh, is is working against him the whole time, and likewise in Double Indemnity, we get this sense that I mean, here's this woman, and she's she's you know pretty and all that, but right from the start, she wants to commit this crime with uh, with his help, and and uh, so this is. I think the first transformative femme fatale that we really get a chance to watch of the films that we've talked
0: about. I absolutely agree, and I think they do. You're right. The way they they let her unravel, uh, you know, it it starts really early on. You know, in the the first act of the film, she's just sort of in and out, like she's kind of flitting in and out. There's there's a lot of flirtation. There's a lot of that sort of early romance and. And a lot of the, the sort of masks that, that, you know, people wear as they're learning about one another, and particularly in, particularly in these noir films, they, those masks tend to be fairly strident. Uh, but then we get that, that first confrontation where she says, okay, 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 I took the money, but I didn't shoot him. Right. And and then you just know something's wrong. You just know something's wrong. And then we get the scene, you know, as that scene continues and they—and and Jeff is in a, a fight in the cabin. Uh, and the lighting is just unbelievable. And the lighting tells more of a story as these two guys box the heck out of each other. Uh, uh, the, the shadows that come from this, you know, incredibly bright fireplace, frankly— but cast on the wall fighting while she is standing there looking uh, I, you know sadistic uh <laughs> like she's really enjoying watching them just beat each other to pieces um uh, you know is is that big transformation for me all of the elements come into place the scene the light the the you know the subtlety of the look of of joy on her face watching what these guys are doing to one another that that she has brought them to this place uh, i I found spectacular
1: yeah I completely agree it's uh, it 's done very smartly and it's she 's written well she 's performed well. I think Jacques tourneur directs her well uh Mazurica shoots it well, everything comes together to just create this uh, perfect representation of her as the femme fatale.
0: There is there is a lot of commentary speaking of lighting and I don't want to derail too much too soon, but speaking of lighting there's a lot of, of of conversation about this film being even sort of the the pinnacle of noir lighting. Can you talk about that?
1: Oh, I this the shadows in this are just brilliant. I mean, Jacques Tourneur in some of his other films like uh Cat People, um really I think had an opportunity to play with uh, more of that and and from that, and working with Nicholas Musaraka, really was able to just do some great, uh, you know, I not overly expressionistic lighting. I mean, certainly uh, Musaraka learned a lot from uh, German expressionism, and you can get a sense of that here. But it's just, this is really shadowy. I mean, there's some parts where the characters aren't lit, they're just backlit, and so you've got silhouettes. Or you've got incredible shadows, like the scene you were just talking about, where you've got kind of the shadows of them fighting on the wall as she's kind of looking on with that kind of sadistic smile on her face almost. And uh, and he also wasn't afraid to kind of uh, move the camera through the shadows. And, and there's some great shots that I found fairly surprising. I mean, I mean you know, jumping back to uh, Jack uh, Cardiff and, and other cinematographers we've talked about back in the period, there's a fantastic shot that uh, Musaraka got when um, it's right after Jeff takes, like, goes into the club and up to the manager's office, knocks him out and takes this, this, the uh, accounting folder out of the safe, walks out the hallway and down the stairs, and the camera follows him. Down the hallway, and then the camera actually descends the stairs with him an incredibly smooth shot and I don't know if they had it on a dolly or a crane arm like a boom arm that then dropped down as it followed him, but the way that it moved and felt alive within these shadows I think really lends to this uh, just this feeling this vibrancy of of this dance really between the dark and the light
0: see I knew I knew I just throw the question now you Start talking <laughs> smart. <laughs> I uh, I had not made the connection about that uh, that particular sequence, but
1: you're right. I've got it playing right now, and it's it is that is
0: really beautiful.
1: It's an incredible shot that like knocked yeah. knocked knocked me off my feet as I was watching. I'm like, this was 1947. How did he pull that shot out of thin air? Right,
0: right. The size of the crane. Yeah. Uh, to manipulate that equipment. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's a great shot. Hmm. I mean, it's black and white. It wasn't the big, you know, three-strip Technicolor or anything. So it's it's a smaller camera, but still, uh, you know, just kind of coordinating the movement within that. I'd love to have seen how they actually put that together back then.
0: Right, right. It's not an iPhone on a Steadicam. Exactly. Uh, all right. So uh, we have talked a a bit about uh, Daniel Mainwaring as Jeffrey
1: Holmes. Mm -hmm. Have
0: you uh, have you dabbled in the book at all?
1: Um. uh, in the book. I have not. I'm curious to read this book. I know this was, I think this was the last book that Daniel Mainwaring wrote. And then he transitioned, uh, into becoming a screenwriter after this and I've heard back and forth as to whether he was actually a screenwriter who was blacklisted or not I've heard it both ways that he was blacklisted and that I heard that he was uh, there was a film that he wasn't credited for but it had nothing to do with any political reasons so I'm not quite sure but it it did sound like he did end up having some problems with his career uh, for a time I just don't know why but he also wrote the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers one of my uh, favorite sci-fis so
0: yeah i was gonna say what else did he do that uh that you really love and invasion of the body snatchers obviously is is high on that list uh, 1956 screenplay
1: and the big steel which uh, another right. the other noir that uh, i mentioned earlier with uh, mitchum and greer which is a, a great little uh a noir film to watch but um i don't know if i've seen a whole lot uh else that he's actually uh, been behind but um, what
0: about uh do you see baby face nelson
1: I didn't. I didn't.
0: That was uh, Mickey Rooney.
1: Oh, interesting!
0: Right, as as George Babyface Nelson, nineteen fifty-seven. Yeah, That's another one. I can noir. see that.
1: Yeah, I can see that working.
0: Uh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, I'm. I I have not seen enough clearly.
1: Yeah, I, I'm curious to see more of his stuff, but yeah. I mean, the the ones that I've seen, I've enjoyed all of them.
0: Wild, Wild West. He wrote one episode. 1967. And Mannix. Mannix. Who will dig the graves? Uh, Where do you stand briefly on Against All Odds, the uh, 1984
1: remake uh, with Um, Jeff Bridges and Rachel Ward? I don't know if I think that much of it, um, but I do love the fact that the filmmakers uh, who put that together cared enough about the original that they actually brought Jane Greer in to play Rachel Ward's mother. And uh, they had um, Paul Valentine, who played, um, he played uh, Stefano. He was in Against All Odds as well.
0: Uh, that was, This one comes from Taylor Hackford, yeah, uh, yeah. director, who did, uh, he didn't he do, he did a couple of things that I think I liked, right? Devil's Advocate, yeah, Proof yeah. of Life, he's, Ray. He's,
1: he's an up and down sort of filmmaker. Yeah, he, he is. Uh, I I like some of his stuff and some of it I don't like, but uh, yeah.
0: Parker, do you like Parker? Uh,
1: Parker, I don't know Parker.
0: Jason Statham, Jennifer Lopez.
1: Oh, I missed that one. Yeah, I that's, that's that.
0: fair. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, I I don't I have zero memory of Against All Odds, like really, no idea. Other no other than the it. song. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, I watched it. Um. Last time I watched Out of the Past, uh, which is probably within the last five years, maybe five years ago, I'd say, I actually then rented Against All Odds to watch it because that was, I think, the first time that I put two and two together and realized it was a remake. And so I watched it, and I wasn't overly impressed. I could see kind of the famili- familiarities between the two plots. Um, I certainly prefer Out of the Past between the two. I don't think Against All Odds really struck me as anything, um, you know, painful or anything like that. But you know, it's just. You know, it's one of those films that you watch and like, eh, okay.
0: It was, uh, you know, I I may have seen it during my um, Alex Karras series. <laughs> mm. I was, you know, it was just after I'd finished watching every episode of Webster that I needed to see. <laughs> <Let's> see how... <laughs> what like... a cast, dude! Against all odds, this is so funny because all these guys: Saul Rubinek, uh, Swoozie Kurtz, uh, uh, Richard Widmark. <laughs> like, what a strange collection of people obviously the trio is Rachel Ward Jeff Bridges and James Woods um right but these uh, the the bench strength cast strength cast is hysterical
1: yeah it's very strange I mean this was a point in Richard Widmark's career where he was kind of popping up in in, in a lot of stuff right. that I wouldn't <laughs> uh, you know I, I feel bad but that you know he was in what was that um really cheesy like he was in national lampoons movie madness he was in the swarm the swarm i think is the thing that i always think of at toward the end of his career uh but man i love widmark um uh, just, <laughs> just well yeah yeah, yeah. But, uh, all
0: right yep. uh let's see i totally derailed us by talking about that where do we go from here
1: um just uh oh i found it very interesting and i wanted to just kind of Run this by you. I thought it was very interesting on the on the part of the filmmakers to also cast Rhonda Fleming to play uh, Nita. She was kind of the secretary for working for this accountant who was helping Jeff as they set up this whole extra other part of the story. And it was very interesting that they chose to make Nita look so much like Kathy, to the point where there's a scene when. Jeff comes into uh, a bedroom and we see um the woman on the f- come in on the phone to call and see to have the uh the 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 person at the desk of the uh, apartment complex, go check and see if the accountant is there, hoping that the guy will stumble across the dead body. And of course, Jeff Jeff moved it. And I was convinced that I was looking at Rhonda Fleming (laughs) and her character, Nita until, until uh, he comes out and starts talking. And I was like, Oh wait, that's Kathy. And I, I read that the filmmaker actually uh, intentionally had them look similar to kind of create some confusion between the two characters. I thought that was really interesting, and it was an interesting choice to deliberately cause that confusion, and I just wanted to get your take on well,
0: that. Well, what's the payoff for that confusion? I mean, did you find uh, that's it was— a...
1: No, that's what I'm not quite sure what the payoff yeah. is. It's like, is. Is there a payoff to make them have some similarity other than it's, it's like kind of a, a vertigo kind of a— uh, everywhere he goes, he sees another version of Kathy sort of thing. I, I wasn't quite sure.
0: Well, I think that you weren't quite sure. I I thought there was a similarity, but you know me. I get confused with, like, faces in black-and-white movies all the time. <laughs> and so I, that's, uh, that's par for the course for me. But I, uh, you know, I think the— um, I did not see the payoff, and maybe it's because I tend to get naturally confused in, in these situations. I did not see the payoff in in having that confusion. Uh, in fact, I personally was was not all that confused because the voices are are different, um, and and so as soon as she opens her mouth, I can I could tell who she was, but or I could tell that she was not Kathy. Yeah. Um, but I I don't see any of the sort of dramatic payoff or the sort of payoff in intrigue uh that that we are supposed to, you know, have have missed a mark by not knowing that it was her, that we, we would suddenly get it on the second viewing, it would all make sense, you know? I don't see yeah, it. Th- I don't see
1: the There's nothing like that. There's oh, yeah. nothing that, that makes it click. And uh it's very interesting that they opted to go that route. And I think it just furthers that confusion of this this whole sequence in the story where it's like okay so <laughs> we're getting really convoluted here with this accountant and all this and then the two women look alike and it just it, it yeah. made for kind of a strange uh, a strange little story i thought right
0: right no i i see that i um uh boy I, yeah I, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me i didn't get all that confused i am confused now knowing that they actually intended it that doesn't make any sense to me and it it actually makes the sequence less strong. Yeah. Just knowing that.
1: Yeah. Rhonda Fleming uh, was nicknamed the Queen of Technicolor and because she had such fair complexion and flaming red hair that I guess looked really great in Technicolor. So it's a shame that we didn't get to catch a glimpse of that. I'd love to... I'll have to go check out one of her other films. I guess she married um, at one point uh, in her life, I think it was her uh, fifth husband, was Ted Mann who she married who was the head of uh, the Mann theater chain. And so she... Uh, um, i think she was able to kind of retire and uh, enjoy just basking in the money coming in from the movie theater chain yeah, and she's that. yeah she's still uh, she's still alive and kicking out there
0: she was a, you want to see her looking uh you know looking in her red-haired best uh check out 1957's gunfight at the ok corral uh, mm-hmm. from uh, director John Sturgis with Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas uh because you talk about flaming red hair, that's woo. You'll see it. Yeah, hair on fire. <laughs> nice. Okay, yeah. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, that was a. I, I really, I mean, y- you know, when all the the Wyatt Earp Doc Holliday films came out, this was the one I would go back to. Uh, ah, this was this this is the one to see. So, oh, very worth nice. It, worth it. Rhonda Fleming, fantastic short not 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 a not a big big role in this film.
1: No, it wasn't, but you know, it, it was an interesting role. Uh, who else? I also liked Dicky Moore popping up in this. He's a he's an interesting actor who's still alive and I guess he is one of the last surviving actors to have appeared in the silent film era. Wow. Yeah, he was an actor starting In the twenties, as a kid, he was born in twenty five, and he started, I think, acting uh, in (laughs) nineteen twenty six as a young infant. Wow! And uh, he, uh, yeah, he acted into the uh, into the fifties, I think, and then he kind of retired from acting. And I think he became was it an agent or a publicist, something like that. Um, But he was one of the uh, the Our Gang. He was one of the the um, members of Our Gang. Yeah, Little Dickie Moore.
0: That's why the name sounded so familiar. That's too funny. Yeah. Well, you can PR. see it. You look at his page, yeah. you can really yeah.
1: see it. exactly. But he went into PR, and he married Jane Powell, and uh, he's been married to her since 88.
0: And still kicking around.
1: Yep, yeah, still kicking. Wow.
0: Dickie Moore, Pretty that's cool. great. Um, I to, you know, that kind of wraps up the, the uh, cast, right? I mean... Yeah, I think That's for good. the most part, yeah.
1: I mean, you know, for the, the key ones.
0: Yeah. Uh, and we have talked about uh, the good Daniel Mainwaring. We've talked about Jacques Tourneur. Have we talked about Jacques Tourneur?
1: We haven't really talked about well, Jacques Tourneur.
0: We should Tourneur. talk about Jacques Tourneur. Uh, Jacques Tourneur, uh, born in 1904, French uh, director in Paris. hmm
1: Son so, of a diff- another film director, uh, Maurice. Maurice, Tourneur. yeah. Who also was a, a very, uh, very busy filmmaker, who I think made something like ninety films or something crazy like that, um, half of which were done in the uh, like in in Hollywood between nineteen fourteen and nineteen twenty six. So his dad cranked films out, and so Jacques kind of grew up in the world of film.
0: And what do we? What should we take away from Jacques' catalog?
1: Uh, you know, he's he's a filmmaker who certainly was within the system. I, he he uh, worked at MGM for a while before he jumped over to RKO and started working with Val, Val Luton. And I think that's uh, where he really found his stride, making Cat People, making I Walked With a Zombie. You could even put The Leopard Man in that group and uh and then he uh, then he jumped around a little bit did some other films that um uh, i think some people um thought were okay i think uh out of the past was the next uh big big one for him and then uh, and then he freelanced for a while and I, I think he uh you know hit a stretch where he wasn't doing anything very good until um he made in the 50s nightfall and curse of the demon and it wasn't it was probably uh, um less than 10 years after that when he uh, made some tongue-in-cheek horror movies and kind of retired after that. So, um, you know, he had his ups and downs, and I think that it it seems like if he really stuck with some of the darker films or some of the horror films and just kind of stayed in that world that he might have had a stronger uh, film uh, uh, oeuvre. But, uh, you know, the ones that he did really well, I think... um, from what I hear, he's they really stand out.
0: Have you seen uh, all of the key uh, films? No, Curse I, of the I Demon, feel, Cat people.
1: I feel like I need to go back and watch all of those now. cat like all the ones that I was just mentioning. Yeah. It's like I think, looking through his library, I think Out of the Past is the only film of his I've seen.
0: Yeah, mine too, but yeah. Cat People looks. I, I think wasn't Cat People remade?
1: It was. It that's was. the
0: one. I see. This is not This it, the, the. I love the poster for Cat People, the nineteen forty two version. It looks like a Toulouse Lautrec painting. It's just really awful and great. <laughs> uh, but um, it was remade. Uh, that's the one that, that uh, with uh, Natasha Kinsky. I think is that and Malcolm McDowell.
1: I believe you're right.
0: And uh, it was. Yeah, it was a very different film.
1: Yeah, I um I don't know enough of the uh the remake 'cause I haven't seen that one either. Um but yeah, it was uh um it was the Paul Schrader one from nineteen eighty two. So right. um a young, But I, a
0: young woman's sexual awakening brings horror when she discovers her urges transform her into a monstrous black leopard. Right. Right.
1: <laughs> it sounds it sounds so silly. But I think that uh Turner, gets so much credit for his film from 1942 because of how it was put together and the the construction of it, which was really creative, and it really emphasized more of uh, what you don't see. And that was, I think, something that um, really made it stand out, and that's why people still remember Cat People, uh, his version, as a classic.
0: Yeah, but that version didn't have Ed Begley Jr. in it. <laughs>
1: Again, why it's called a classic? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Uh, Good stuff. All right, your star
1: of Transylvania six five
0: thousand. thousand. (laughs) Oh, I used to have the song. I I could pull the song out, Transylvania six five thousand. I can't remember that (laughs) too. Okay, anybody else uh, you want to talk about uh, on this one as we get close to the?
1: I do like the music by Roy Webb. I thought that it had a great tone to it and a great theme, and it, it, he plays with it nicely. It goes from so idyllic. The opening of the film is all over these beautiful nature shots, and, and uh, there's several sequences that take place out in nature in the film, and then it go, it drops into the minor key when you when you first see um, Joe driving in in through these nature uh, shots of nature as he's driving into the city to find Jeff. And, and this character coming from out of the past, and you 've got the that music it it goes so wonderfully from the sweeping romantic f- feel as they 're falling in love to kind of the darker turn as it it goes back to the reality of what 's really happening. I think that Roy Webb really captured that and uh, did a great job with the music in this one
0: you know as long as you 're talking about music we got to talk about sound, and I want to go back to the scene in the cabin because this is i i'm I, made a a note i said out loud these are the best fist on face sounds i in that i can remember hearing the the sound (laughs) effects of these guys punching each other sounded like like people really punching each other and it was i thought it was just great we went through such a dark period of terrible terrible fist fighting sounds and these guys uh sound department uh clem portman and francis sarver it was just great great sound all the way through the foley sounds were for just terrific.
1: Yeah, I'd agree on that.
0: Yeah. Good call. All right. Um, I, I, is it time?
1: Uh, yeah. I, you know, I, just a quick note, I tried finding uh, money figures on this thing, couldn't find anything. The only thing that I found was, was a line that just talked about how, um, the uh, RKO studio would make a lot of these B films. And the way they made money is because they had you know, very low budgets and then they would do well enough at the box office to make a lot of money back. This film, though, was given an A-level budget. So that's all I found about the numbers on this one. So it's a shame. Can't that get any more information on that one.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to see how that holds up. Yep. Uh, in spite of that, I think it's time for us to rank it Let's do it. Head over to flickchart. dot com slash the next reel, and you can uh, see our stack rankings of our favorite films. Uh, cruising up on two hundred of uh, the next reel rankings here. Very excited to uh, hit that number because there will be some sort of a party. Uh, oh yes! In you know there may be balloon.
1: <laughs> balloon.
0: <laughs> I don't know how this one's gonna stack up, but I know if we rank him against another noir, it's we're gonna we're gonna have words.
1: Oh, okay. All right. All right, well, Out of the Past or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Hmm.
0: I'm going to say Out of the Past.
1: I was going to say, if you're to start strong. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right, Out of the Past uh, wins that one. Out of the Past or Ronin?
0: Out of the Past.
1: Yeah, I do Out of the Past still. The greatest smoking movie ever, as I think Ebert called it, (laughs) (laughs) which I think holds true. Out of the Past, here you go, Pete, just for you, or Double Indemnity?
0: Out of the past.
1: <laughs> and here I do double <laughs> indemnity.
0: All right. Let's, uh, let's do it.
1: i rock, paper, scissors, this one. Okay. Ready? All right. Yep. One, two, three, rock. All right. One, two, three, rock. Two, three, rock. paper. <laughs> All right. Sorry, man. All right. Sorry, man. Out of the Past or The Thing. I wager I would, you're going to go with The Thing. I'm going to go with The Thing on this one.
0: I'll give you The Thing. Even right. though you should give it to me. I'm going to give it to you because I'm a big man.
1: In honor of Richard Dysart. Yeah, exactly. There you, there you go. Out of the Past or Fargo? Fargo. Fargo, yeah. Out of the Past or The Curious Case of Benjamin Button? Let's we'll to do Out of the Past on this one. Yes. Out of the past or the Hurt Locker? I would do the Hurt Locker. And you would do that on a basis of? I'm at about a 7. If you're stronger, I'll go with out of the past.
0: No, I'll give it to you. Okay.
1: All right, there you go. 42 out of 179.
0: Kind of wanted it to be 47. You never know. It'll, give, it'll be there one day.
1: That's right. All, All right.
0: right. So that was number four on our series. Where do we go from here?
1: Well, uh, we spent a little time dabbling with uh, Kirk Douglas in this one, and we're going to spend a lot more time next week talking about Kirk Douglas in the fantastic Billy Wilder media frenzy Ace in the Hole, a.k.a. the Big Carnival. Uh, awesome. I love this one.
0: Excellent. Well, I, uh, I I think this was a good way to close out. I, this so far has been my favorite. We'll see if if, uh, if uh, old Douglas can pull it out next uh, week. But uh, this is going to be a tough one to beat. I really, really enjoyed watching this film.
1: Absolutely. Well, good.
0: All right. I got to go to
1: Baby, I don't care.
0: So, do you want to go up from the bottom or down from the <laughs> top?
1: Oh, I think we should. Uh, we'll go down. I'll start. Okay, you with, start by two so star. Right at the top with R- a two star. That's right. Our, with a, by R Mirich, who says, "Out of the past should stay in the past." <laughs> That's really the best That's part it? of That's it That's the whole thing? No, no, it keeps going. Of the thousands of film noir movies available, this is one of my least favorite. Sure, Jane Greer is surprisingly attractive and Mitchum is still developing his film persona, but all in all, even by this early date, the film is trite. Keep looking for a better use of your film noir bucks.
0: Now, Andy, I've, I've never counted, but how many film noir films are there?
1: Uh, there's a there's a lot there's, there's quite quite a library of film noir. If you if you pull out the uh, the encyclopedic reference to the American style of the of noir by Elaine Silver, who's considered kind of the guy, yeah, it's it is a very thick book that covers I don't know how many films. I don't even if it mentions how many films. Is
0: it is it in the thousands? Like how uh-huh. many thousands are we talking about?
1: I don't know if it's in the thousands. Um, it certainly I is. I hear you.
0: You're like literally flipping through pages right now. This I, is like I'm you're really through. counting well, this film is, noir this films.
1: Is, this is quite a tome. I mean, this book is, what, in the 400 pages. All right. So of, we're going to clearly
0: need so. to do another special episode where Andy counts film noir films. That's right. <laughs> we're going to do it live.
1: One, two, <laughs> three. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, oh. I was I was uh, hoping to catch a little bit of uh, inappropriate use of hyperbole uh, but uh, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. So we'll have to get back to that. My my rating, my uh, review, comes from Judith Perry Oreo lover, uh, who is a one-star review, sadly. And she writes, will be a gift. Now, that's not that great. But what's better are the follow-up comments to her... <laughs> To her comments, the people who read her review and decided to comment on her review. Uh, this woman has the exact same one star rating and gift comment on another film review, Ace in the Hole. Best to ignore her. And looks like her gifts really don't come from the heart. They're all one star gifts. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> That's so sad. She doesn't she her friends hate her. That's a sad problem. <laughs> she all she and she never even gets Oreos anymore. <laughs>